We open the Bible to Romans chapter 7. We will begin our reading at verse 7 of the chapter. Romans 7 verse 7. And we will read through the end of the chapter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more that I... It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Here we end our reading. On the basis of this passage and the rest of the scriptures, we consider the instruction of Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 2. Whence knowest thou thy misery? Out of the law of God. What doth the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. 
This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? In no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Beloved in the Lord, at the close of Lord's Day 1, we considered the three most important things a Christian must know to live and die happily. How great my sins and miseries are, how I am to be delivered from my sins and miseries, and how I am to express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. And we considered these things using the illustration of a recipe, thinking about these three fundamental parts of saving knowledge as three ingredients which, when put together, yield true spiritual happiness, that blessed fruit of true faith in Jesus Christ. Coming now to Lord's Day 2, the first ingredient of true happiness is set before us and explained in more detail, namely the knowledge of my sin and misery. The Catechism is going to instruct us in this first ingredient of happiness in Lord's Days 2 through 4, the shortest section of the Catechism explaining the reality of our fallen human condition. Last week, we've already, we already saw the necessity of seeing our sin and understanding our misery. And so the goal of Lord's Day 2 is not to prove to us the fact that we are miserable. That's self-evident. We readily recognize that. But Lord's Day 2 now has as its goal showing us the nature of our misery and the source from which it comes, namely our sin. And that's important because we're spiritually dim-sighted. Even after the eyes of the soul have been illuminated by the work of the Holy Spirit, we still wrestle with that sinful flesh as we read in Romans 7. And part of wrestling with our sinful flesh is contending day by day with the spiritual dullness and blindness that we have. So often we're blind to sin. And so we need, we need often to be pointed to the clear spiritual mirror that is the law of God, in which mirror we see our true spiritual reflection and see our sin in vivid detail. That's the first use of the law in the Christian life that is set before us now in Lord's Day 2. The law... As Romans 3 verse 20 teaches us, the law shows us sin. By the law is knowledge of sin. In the mirror of God's law, we see the beautiful visage of God's holiness. And we see the ugly visage of our sin. And those two side by side show us the greatness of our misery. And so, today, but all through our Christian life, this is part, this is part of living as a Christian. Learning from God's law. Learning more and more to see in God's law and to see from God's law my sin and my misery. Not so that I can despair. Remember the second ingredient of true happiness. How I am delivered. And that purpose 
is before us in Lord's days 2, 3, and 4 on our misery. The point is to direct us to the one who saves us from our sins. But first, let's learn again from God's law to see our sin and misery. Our theme is learning from God's law. First, my misery. Second, my inability. And thirdly, that there's nowhere else to turn but the one Savior, Christ Jesus. Man doesn't want to reckon with the reality of his misery, the reality of the human condition as it truly is. Man is prone to deny his misery or deny the exact nature of his misery or to minimize his misery or try to distract himself from his misery using all forms of anesthesia, the pleasures of this world, riches, and all of the rest, to try to convince himself that he is not miserable. But the Christian, confronted with God's law, sets aside those attempts to escape the reality of his misery and looks misery straight in the face. And where do we see the face of our misery? The law of God. Whence knowest thou thy misery out of the law of God? Out of that spiritual mirror that lets us see what we are, what we are like by nature. God's law. God's law is here referred to as the Ten Commandments. In view is not the ceremonial and the civil laws which are fulfilled in Christ, but God's moral law, His Ten Commandments. And that's clear from question and answer four, which gives us the sum of God's moral law. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the law in view. Three things to understand about God's law. In the first place, God's moral law, His Ten Commandments, is the revelation of His holy character. The Ten Commandments are a mirror, and in the mirror of the Ten Commandments, we see the complete holiness of God. Ten in the Bible. Children, you know what the number ten symbolizes in the Bible. It symbolizes completeness. Ten Commandments, the complete holiness of God. The Ten Commandments are a mirror in which we see the complete, beautiful holiness of God. It's a revelation of His holy character. All of His perfections. You can go through those Ten Commandments and think about what it shows us about God. The first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That fundamental commandment sets God up as the one and only true God who is all glorious and worthy of exclusive worship. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. God is infinite. God is eternal. He cannot be put in a creature box. We cannot impose upon him some form. Or represent him by images. Nor may we decide for ourselves how to worship him. But we must submit to his own word. God is God. And God tells us how to worship him and how to approach him. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That commandment reveals the holiness of God's name. The holiness of his being. He is worthy of worship. And his name whenever we employ it. Ought to be used with reverence. Keep the Sabbath day. God created the world in seven day, er, in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And he established that as an ordinance. Uh, one day in seven to be devoted to his worship and devoted to his praise. And we could go down the list. The Ten Commandments are a mirror showing us God's holiness. 
But now in the mirror of the Ten Commandments, we are also shown God's holy will for our lives. The Ten Commandments, God's law, is the revelation of his will for us. That is, what is pleasing to him. How he wants us to live. The kind of thinking, the kind of desiring, the kind of doing, and the kind of speaking that fits with his own holy character. In the Ten Commandments, we see God's holy character, and we also see how we are to live so that we might be holy like as he is holy. God's whole will, ten, his complete will for how we are to live is revealed in this law. And the sum of it all is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Seek his good and his glory above all, which means submit yourself and your whole being to him. And love thy neighbor as thyself. Seek your neighbor's good and do him good for the glory of God. The law reveals God's holiness, his holy character. It reveals his complete and holy will for how we are to live. And then thirdly, where does this law, where do these Ten Commandments come from? They're based on the very being of God himself. When we think of the kind of laws that we have in our land, they're based on the will of man, and laws in our land change. They go back and forth depending upon who's in power. There is a certain subjective aspect to them. Sometimes the laws that men make are whimsical. They're based on the pleasure or the thinking of this man. but They have no stability. Not so with the law of God. The law of God is rooted in and based upon the unchangeable, perfect being of the one true and living God whose name is I am that I am. And thus these ten commandments have the stability, the firmness, Of the I am that I am. That's God's law. But now this law of God. Is revealed to us. To teach us. And to show us. To teach us. About God. And to teach us about ourselves. It teaches us that our God is a supremely holy and glorious God. Worthy of all worship. Worthy of complete obedience. But now the law comes to us in our sinful condition as the revealer of sin. The function of the law is to discover unto us our sin so that we may see it for what it is, see it as sin, and understand what sin is in the eyes of God. That's the revealing and exposing function of the law of God. And the Apostle Paul refers to this function of the law in Romans 7 verse 7. Here the Apostle says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, the law isn't something sinful. The law doesn't cause sin. The law uncovers and exposes sin. He goes on, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. What Paul is saying is, the law is what teaches me what is right and wrong. The law is what sheds light on my own heart and life, and exposes to me where I am out of harmony with the holy being of God. 
And then the apostle, at the end of the verse, gives a concrete example. For I had not known lust. Lust there is referring especially to an excessive desire that is outside of the boundaries God prescribes. I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Paul's point is, I desire things. I'm a human being, and a human being desires. But as a fallen human being, my desires are often excessive, out of bounds, discontented. How do I know that is wrong? How do I come to see that desire for what it is as the heart sin of covetousness? I come to know it. I come to see it. I come to recognize it because God's law shines upon that desire of mine and shows me what it really is. The light of God's holiness, the light of God's perfection shines from the law and shows me the reality. Of my sin. That that covetous desire. Is out of harmony. With the perfect being. Of God. That it is contrary to his revealed will. For how I am to live. And how I am to desire. The law shines light. On every human thought. Word. Deed. And exposes the moral character. Of it. And thus again, the mirror is a fit illustration for God's law. We look in the mirror. In that mirror, we see the moral character of our thoughts, words, deeds. We see the ugly face of our old man of sin. To use another illustration... Borrowed from Calvin, Calvin often spoke of the word of God as the spectacles that we put on. And when we wear the spectacles of the word of God, we are able to perceive truth. Well, the law of God is like spectacles as well. Perhaps some of us need reading glasses. Our eyes have aged and it's hard to read. If we don't have our reading glasses on, all the words on the page are blurry. We can't make them out or it's very difficult to make them out. Well, that's... How we are by nature with regard to our sin. Without the spectacles of the law, everything is blurry. We can't see things distinctly. We can't make out the words, what this is and what that is. But with the law, the law is like reading glasses that allow us to see our sin sharply and distinctly so we can make out each and every word, lust, covetousness, idolatry, and all of the rest. That's the function of God's law. And so we see then how the law of God gives us the knowledge of our misery. As it shows us the holiness of God, as it reveals the will of God to us, it shows us the source of our misery and the nature of our misery. We all recognize mankind is miserable. We live in this world that is ravaged by disease, ravaged by war, ravaged by strife, ravaged by robbery, ravaged by murder, ravaged by sexual sin, ravaged by every horrible evil that we find exposed by the Ten Commandments. Man is miserable. 
And the genealogy of all of that human misery goes back to sin. That's what the law points out to us. The violation of these ten commandments is the root of human misery. Multifaceted as misery is, as many concrete miseries as fit under the umbrella term misery, it all goes back to sin. It's not due to environment. It's not due to cruel misfortune. Mankind's misery grows from mankind's sin. The spiritual moral evil that man wrought against God, the supreme good who is worthy of all worship. That root of sin goes all the way back to the original sin of Father Adam which plunged our entire race into sin and sinfulness, from whom we have inherited our own sinful nature, which the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 7 verse 18, when he says that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There he identifies the the corrupt root from which springs all sin, and the corrupt root that is the ultimate source of all human misery. That in my flesh, that is my human nature, that I inherited from Adam, dwelleth no good thing. That inner corruption is the fountainhead from which flows that mighty stream of foul transgressions that prevails day by day. That doesn't mean, of course, that every single misery I experience in this life is directly the consequence of one of my actual sins. Some of our miseries are. But all misery is the consequence and the fruit of that reality of human sin going back to Father Adam. In Adam, the race sinned. In Adam, the whole race fell. In Adam's sin, we all became subject to death and misery. There's the source. The law shows it to us. And in showing us the source, the law also shows us the nature of our misery. Our world is ravaged by disease, and that's bad. Our world is ravaged by war and strife, and that's bad. There's poverty There's starvation. There's all of these bad things. But those things are the consequences of sin. And as bad as those are, they're not the essence of our misery. The essence of our misery is described in question and answer 5 of the Catechism. That I am prone by nature to hate God and hate my neighbor. That I have this depraved human nature which is so twisted in upon itself that it has become the opposite of what God made me to be. God made me to live before His face in perfect love, in perfect harmony. But sin has so twisted my nature that I am prone, that is, Not just inclined, but I rush headlong against God. I naturally hate Him. I naturally despise Him. I am naturally at enmity with Him. 
and also my neighbor. When the law points this out to us and we honestly look at our own hearts and lives in light of God's law, we see that's true, do we not? How often we want to put something else where God belongs and have another God beside the one true God. How often we want to serve him on our own terms, not as his word commands. How often we have little reverence for his name. How often we do not delight in his Sabbath day and we don't say with the psalmist that our hearts faint to be in the courts of the living God, but would much rather use his Sabbath for our own designs. And all of that is an expression of self-love, love for self over love for God, which is in reality hatred for God. We look at ourselves and we find how Quickly we resist his word when it touches the sore spots of our lives. That resistance to his word and the wisdom of his word and the admonition of his word is hatred for God. We look at our own lives and how we deal with other people. And what's our first response to that person on the road who annoys us or that person at work who irritates us or that difficult family member or that person in the church that frustrates us? How often our first response is to despise them, to criticize them, to think evil of them, to hate them. We are prone by nature to hate the living God and to hate one another. And that's our misery. That's utter, utter misery. And being so prone by nature to hate, we're sold under sin, as the apostle says. By nature carnal. We've earned the wages of sin, which is death. We're subject to the punishment that sin deserves. The execution of the law's curse. Romans 7, 10, and 11, the apostle explains the law isn't the bad thing. The law is just. The law is holy. The law is good. The law is not sin. The law even outlines, sets before us the way of life. But because of sin, the law speaks death to us apart from God's grace. Because that law speaks the sentence of the just and holy one against the disobedient and the rebellious. The wages of sin is death. That's our misery. By nature, prone to hate God, hate the neighbor. We carry a human nature twisted in upon itself. By nature, we are subject to the punishment and the wrath of the holy one. That's the essence of human misery. But now one more big part of that human misery which the law exposes to us is my inability. We've seen our misery, the nature of it, its source in sin. But now a big part of that misery is my inability. That is, my own inability to free myself from this misery. My own inability to uproot the root of all misery. Namely, my sin. That has its taproot in my human nature, and I can't rip that up. I can't change that. God's law 
10 simple commandments which reveal his perfect holiness and reveal his holy will for how we are to live. It's these 10 simple commandments that we must measure up to. But here's our misery. This question and answer 5 says, Can you? Can you keep these things perfectly? All of these things? Can you measure up to the standard of the Holy One? In no wise. To put it in our own language, no way, not at all, not in the least. For I am prone by nature to hate both God and my neighbor. There's our inability. It's not only this, that as fallen people we have failed to keep God's commandments perfectly. That's true, we have. But our misery goes a step further. We cannot keep God's law perfectly. As we'll see in Lord's Day 3, we can't push the blame on God for that. He made us able. But we ourselves in the fall have rendered ourselves incapable of keeping God's law perfectly. We by our own fault have incapacitated ourselves. Inability. These ten commandments are now set before me. As the revelation of the Holy One as the revelation of the Holy One's will for how I am to live, and I must measure up to them, and I can't. It's impossible for me to measure up to them. Jeremiah 23, or rather Jeremiah 13, verse 23, gives us a a vivid illustration of this. Jeremiah 13 verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to evil. There the prophet describes this reality that we are prone by nature to hate God and neighbor. And we can't change that of ourselves. Can a leopard, of its own will, in a moment, change its spots? So that those spots become a different color, or those spots disappear, and that cat has a completely different coat of fur? Of course not, that's utterly impossible. Can a human being, in a moment, change the color of his or her skin? No, that's impossible. And the point that the prophet makes is, It's that impossible for us who are accustomed to evil, that is, us who are prone to hate God and neighbor, to of our own strength, of our own volition, of ourselves, change that and start loving God and start loving the neighbor. Inability. Inability. That's another big part of our misery. By nature, apart from grace, human beings cannot obey at all. But now even after the coming of saving grace and the first work of the Spirit in our hearts at regeneration, giving us new life, even after that, we still have only a small beginning. We still 
can't keep God's law perfectly because we have that old man who is yet with us. And the Apostle Paul confesses that fact and laments that fact in Romans 7. Look, for example, at verses 18 and 19. Here the Apostle says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, and what would means there is that I wish or want, the good that I want, I do not. But the evil which I would not, I want not, that I do. Every spiritual minded Christian sees himself in Paul's words and personally and experientially understands what the apostle is saying. We feel that, do we not? Because of the new life of Christ given to us by the Holy Spirit, we have a new heart and a new desire to do the good. We truly love God, we do. And we are able again to obey His commandments. And yet it's a mighty struggle. Because we feel also in us that lusting, wicked, old nature that still wants to sin and run headlong into sin. That is still prone to hate God and neighbor. And there's this mighty battle going on within us each and every day. So that often this is the case. The good that I want to do, I end up not doing. And the evil that I really don't want to do, that I do perform. The Apostle says in verses 22 and 23, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And we say yes. As we hear the Ten Commandments, we love those commandments. We love the holiness of God that we see revealed there. We want to follow those commandments. And by the grace of God, we strive to. And by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we do. But, as the Apostle goes on, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. But, it's only a small beginning. I can't keep that law perfectly. I stumble, I fall, I trip time and time again. And not only that, but there are those times in my life when I sin presumptuously, willfully, and that old man gains a moment of mastery over me, and I throw myself into temptation. That's our experience. Even though we have that new beginning, from regeneration, we still, in this life, cannot keep God's law perfectly. And that inability part of our misery. As the law shines its light on us this morning, what do we see personally? What is that light of God's law showing you right now? What is it uncovering in that corner of your life or in that chamber of your heart? What sins are you being confronted with Don't blind yourself. Don't run away from the light. Don't deny it. Don't minimize it. See it for what it is. Acknowledge it for what it is. That's what the law is supposed to do. Look 
at the ugly face of your old man. You have to. Remember, this is part of happiness. See that sin for what it is. Let the law of the holy God shine upon your sin. See it. Cry out to the Lord. Humble yourself before Him and under His word in the law. Confess your sins to Him. Repent from the heart. Because there is somewhere to turn. Nowhere else to turn. But to Christ. The law is not all God has given us. He's given us the gospel. The law shows us our sin. We're not left there. The gospel comes. The good news. Of Jesus Christ. Which announces. The forgiveness of sins. And reconciliation with God. And righteousness through Jesus Christ. And sanctification by his spirit. And a full and free salvation through his grace. And that gospel comes. And that gospel lifts us up. Let the mirror of the law show us our sins. And bring us to our knees. To acknowledge them and confess them. But now that law drives us to the Christ. That the gospel reveals. The law shows us our own inability. The response to seeing our sin in the law is not to say, well, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to pick up myself and do better next time. The response is to flee to Christ. And to find your rest in Him. And when you found your rest in Him, your striving will come and you'll want to do better out of thankfulness. Nowhere else to turn but Christ. The law which exposes sin drives us to the only Savior from sin. That's where we must go this morning. As the light of God's law has shined upon your life and your heart, and as we've seen our sins, take them to the cross. Go to the Christ upon the cross. In Him is forgiveness and plenteous redemption. We see that in Romans 7. Let's not miss the beautiful end of this chapter. The whole chapter has been about the law and how it exposes sin and how the law curses the sinner and how even after regeneration we still can't keep that law perfectly we have these two at war in us the new man and the old man and the good that we want to do so often we don't do and the evil that we don't want to do so often that we do in verse 24 the apostle summarizes it all o wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death Maybe that would be the end. Maybe the chapter would end there, but it doesn't. Verse 25 comes, the first part of verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that compact statement carries a world of meaning. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ 
our Lord, because God has saved me from the body of this death and saved me through this Jesus Christ who is my Lord. There is a Savior. Christ Jesus is His name. He's proclaimed in the Gospel and the Gospel sheds light now upon all that Jesus has done for us. The law shed light on our sins. The law showed us the condemnation we deserve. The law showed us our inability to measure up. But now the gospel comes and it shines light. And that light is on Christ. And that light shows us all that Christ is and all that He has done. His perfect life of obedience. That He lived for you and me. That He might give it to us as a robe. To wrap us up in. So that before the judgment seat of God. We might be declared righteous upon the basis of his obedience. And now as we look in the mirror of God's law. We see our own sinfulness. But we also see the brilliant Christ. Who fulfilled that law for us. And we see his perfection. And we see that perfection now as the robe wrapped around us. And we rest in his finished work. The gospel sheds light upon Christ and His atoning work on the cross. We see Him there on the cross of Calvary, shedding His blood to pay for our sins, to take away our guilt for all of those disobediences and all of my rebellion and all of my presumptuous sins. All of it, all of it, washed away in His blood. The punishment, hell, the fury of the Holy One poured out upon Him so that never will Even a flame of that wrath touch me. Whence knowest thou thy misery out of the law of God? Whence knowest thou thy salvation out of the gospel of God? Look into that gospel now. Believe, beloved. Trust in the Christ revealed there. He is Your salvation. And let the looking glass. The mirror of the law. As it shows us our sin. Drive us more and more. To take our refuge. In that Christ. Set before us in the gospel. That Christ. Who is. Our rich happiness. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy law. Painful as its uncovering operation is, necessary it is. We pray, Father, that in this hour of worship, Thy law may have searched us, and that we may have been open to that searching, so that we have seen our sins, And are moved to genuine repentance. Father, shine not only the light of thy law upon us. But shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon us. So that though we see our sins, we don't linger there. We don't fixate upon them. But we turn to the only one to whom we can turn. To Jesus Christ. And we fixate on him. And focus our eyes on him. His obedience and His death, which is our salvation. And our hearts are comforted, joyful, and happy. And then we go from His cross, thankful, eager 
to look back at those Ten Commandments which exposed us. To look back upon those Ten Commandments and see in them the roadmap for a thankful life. Strengthen us by thy Spirit to follow that map for thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.